Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. In the opening lines of A Tale of Two Cities, Dickens in the late 1800s writes about his world while at the same time writing about the past and actually writing about the future. He was sharing the very real emotions that all people have experienced throughout the ages. Things are great, then they're not so great. Wisdom reigns, then foolishness breaks in. Light and darkness, hope and despair, real world stuff. I want to thank my friends at the Advent for the opportunity to open the word with you today. I'm greatly humbled and honored to stand in this pulpit where so many men and women of God have proclaimed the gospel before me. Every year as we enter the Lenten season, we're always pointed to Jesus's journey to the cross. He knows where he's going. He knows why he has to do this. He knows who he's doing it for. He has a pretty good idea of how it's going to go. And the gospel according to Luke is where I always like to go. Luke pulls back the curtain on this trip to Jerusalem that really gets started in chapter 5 when Jesus starts calling the disciples. And he takes his message of hope, he takes his message of light, of redemption and deliverance through him throughout the countryside on this travel and invites us to come along. As Dr. Robert Smith Jr., who many of you know from times that he's been around, always taught us, these passages or where we are actually invited to come, stand around the side, look in, listen in, lean in, pick up what's being said, watch what's being done. And Luke gives us that opportunity right now. Dr. Smith also taught us how to do 12 to 15 minute sermons, but we'll see how well this Baptist boy does on that in the next few minutes. I want us to join Luke as he takes us to visit two old friends. If we've had the opportunity to hear the word proclaimed, even just a little bit in our lives, these two are very familiar to us. The rich ruler and the other, one chapter later, Zacchaeus. Listen to Luke in chapter 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he probably thinks he's got everything else. Now Jesus knows what's on his mind. The young man is missing something greatly. He's put his trust in money. He's put it in power. He's put it in self. And that hasn't worked. And so in his gut, he believes Jesus has the answer. What must I do, he says. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Keep them all. Well, I've done that, he says. 
Is that pretty good? That take care of it? And he says, oh, there's one more thing you need to do. And he tells him to go sell all of his stuff. Even the stuff he's got in storage units. That may not be a problem for y'all, but in our family, well, that's another story for another time. He says, sell all of that stuff and give the proceeds to the poor. And you'll have real treasure in heaven, he says. And you'll be ready to enter the kingdom of God and then come follow me. But Luke tells us that this answer just makes him sad because he had a lot of stuff and he really didn't want to give it up. Then Jesus looks at him and says in verse 24, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not at all an uncommon position for Jesus. He's already told them not to lay up treasures on earth for themselves. And he reinforces it right here. Don't put your trust in all the goodies you can gather. They'll only deteriorate over time, Jesus says. Wherever one's treasure is, that's really where that person's heart is, he says. It's not a contest. You've probably seen the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. There's another one I saw that says, he who dies with the most toys is dead. But we leave the saddened ruler and we follow Jesus into chapter 19. And Luke tells us in verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich and was seeking to see Jesus. Wanted to know who he was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So here we catch up with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We remember that one. He's a tax collector. He's a hated tax collector. He's a chief tax collector at that, and really kind of runs a pyramid tax collector program. He takes in as much as he can get. Rome gets their cut. And he gets to keep anything else he can get in there. So he's really running a really tough scheme here. Zacchaeus, like the ruler, is loaded. He has a lot of stuff. He has multiple storage units too, but he just has to see Jesus. He's so short. And so we watch, we watch him as you see perhaps a parade coming by and we see Zacchaeus try to look in between people. He's too short to look over them. So we watch as he runs ahead and he climbs this tree because he doesn't want to miss Jesus. Zacchaeus is missing something greatly too. He's put his trust in money. He's put his trust in power. He's put his trust in himself and that hasn't worked. But in his gut, he knows Jesus has the answer. He's just certain of it. And we watch as Jesus stops and he looks up and he tells him to come down because I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus greets him joyfully, verse 6 tells us. But none of the holy people around would have any part of it. Grumbled is the word Luke uses. Why? Because Jesus is going to spend time with a sinner. Who else is he going to spend time with? There's so much going on right here. We could stay in that place for quite a while. 
But we need to stay focused on the main thing. The Pharisees, because they're certain that they aren't sinners, put tax collectors in a completely different category of sinner. And he's a chief tax collector at that. Because some sinners are just worse than others, aren't they? Well, my children would tell you that their father's been known to think like that from time to time. It's a, it's a good thing they're not here today. They would tell too many stories. If these folks can't see it now, they might never. Jesus makes sure that these two men are linked forever. The rich pharisaical ruler comes bragging to Jesus and expecting to be rewarded. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus with the answer. The ruler calls Jesus teacher. Zacchaeus calls him Lord. The ruler is chained to the things of this world and can't even let go when Jesus tells him it's what he has to do. And stunningly, it brings sadness. Zacchaeus doesn't even have to be told to do it. We see immediate joys. He says, I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor. And the other half, if I've done anybody wrong, I'm going to repay them four times from the other half. And then in a moment that so many of these travels and chapters have led to like a powerful crescendo, perhaps even the penultimate crescendo in a magnificent piece of music, Jesus speaks the words that only he can speak. And he tells Zacchaeus in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, the out of place, the disenfranchised, the rejected, those who know they're sinners and are missing something and are ready to put God first and follow him. Jesus says, that's why this was no chance encounter. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to us. He comes after us. That's what Jesus wanted everybody there to see. That's what he wanted them to hear. Psalm 139, 7 and 8 tells us that we can't escape his spirit. We can't escape his presence. He's with us in heaven. He's with us in the grave. And we remember verses 13 through 16 that tell us he's always been at work in our lives. Tells us he's knit us together in our mother's womb. And verse 16 tells us, that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, Jesus pursues us. Reminds me of an early scene in the movie Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce when he tells his butler that God has changed him. And the butler says, you found God? He says, I'm pretty sure he found me. He pursues us like he pursued Zacchaeus, like he pursued Paul, like the shepherd searching for the lost sheep, like the missing coin, like the prodigal son. He's looking and searching and pursuing the lost. Let's don't get hung up on the fact that these are two wealthy guys. One couldn't let go and trust God and the other, the other sees the light. Even though money and looking out for the poor is really serious business to Luke, this is bigger than that. Trusting in ourselves, our wisdom, our skills, our ability to follow the rules better than the next guy isn't going to get it. 
The Apostle Paul explains that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a better Jew. He was a better Pharisee, tither, more so than anybody else. If following rules, if doing stuff were going to get it done, he said he'd be first in line. But 1 Timothy, he repeats something that's very familiar to us that we've heard many times, but he attaches himself to it. That saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am foremost, or your translation might even say chief, the man who would have once called himself Hebrew of Hebrews now says, I am chief of sinners. Time and again, Luke makes sure we hear Jesus communicating the cost involved in following him. Deny ourselves. Put God first and follow. When Christ confronts us, when we come face to face with the gospel, like the ruler and Zacchaeus, and we hear its demand to repent and follow, that meeting can only go one of two ways. And some of us have responded in each manner. Some of us hear it and they respond immediately. But some of us, we deny our need for Christ multiple times, trusting in our own intellect and skill, and then finally repenting and following and finally receiving salvation. Praise God regarding this responding only one time. I can deny him so many times, but when I accept him one time, and that's it because he's done it. It all comes back to verse 9, chapter 19, where Jesus declares that today salvation has come to the house. This is all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. The two guys are just the setting for this moment. Jesus speaks and salvation happens. It's all on him, his words, his actions, his sacrifice on the cross, the blood that covers our failures, He is the only way to the Father. He makes us clean when we're not. He declares us worthy when we're worthless. Only when we repent and trust him do we inherit eternal life that the ruler was asking for. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. This is a tale of two sinners. This is the story of us. We live in the worst of times, surrounded by the brokenness that is the result of the fall. The evil one is still allowed to roam around the world, causing all kinds of chaos and pain. We wonder how much worse it can get. And we live in the best of times because Christ has come for us. Christ has risen for us and Christ will come for us again. God loves us so much that as John Piper says, he pursues us with grace and mercy. Fellow believer, may this season always reignite us in the emotions of thankfulness and gratefulness that we see in Zacchaeus, who upon meeting Jesus immediately recognized his need for the gospel, immediately repented and committed to follow Christ that moment, that day. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's by his grace alone that we've been saved through faith. Not of our doing. It's the gift of God and not a result of our works. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.